All right, we want to welcome everyone tonight and those who will be watching via YouTube uh, in a week or so once it's up and going. So what we're going to do tonight is still continuing on mind-brain connections. And what I want to talk about tonight is something that a lot of people have kind of misunderstood. And it's just simply the law of sowing and reaping. How many know that the law of sowing and reaping is not a law of God? It's a law of man. What do I mean by that? First of all, God is not a rewarder or a punisher. And so, and we'll read in Galatians later on tonight toward the end of the message where it talks about sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit. What we need to understand about the law of sowing and reaping that we're going to be looking at tonight is the fact that we're the ones that are responsible. Because God is not a rewarder or a punisher. He's not involved in the law of sowing and reaping, but we're the ones that are involved in the law of sowing and reaping. Now, as we get into this tonight, we're going to talk about the law of sowing and reaping, as I said, but I want to specifically talk about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. How many know under the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 21, verse 24, it says there, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. In other words... If you knock someone's eye out, guess what? You get yours knocked out. If you hurt someone's hand, you get yours hurt or foot or whatever the case might be. If you knock out someone's tooth, guess what happens to your tooth? It gets knocked out. Now, in the Old Testament, it was based upon their behavior. But what we're going to see is in the New Testament, it is based on the awareness, because it's the awareness that produces the behavior. Now, before we get into that, let me just say a few things to just kind of set up the narrative of this whole thing so that we have a little context and we're going in the right direction. How many remember that in the scriptures, God's purpose was for Israel to be a nation of priests or a kingdom of priests? And I believe, and this is just, you know, my opinion here. You don't have to buy this. I'm not trying to sell it. But since God wanted Israel to be a kingdom of priests or a nation of priests, could it possibly be that when the Ten Commandments were given, the moral law was given through Moses, could it be if God had any involvement in that, which it says he wrote with the finger, you know, on the tables of stone and so forth, but could it have been that since he wanted Israel to be a kingdom of priests, a nation of priests, could it have been that God's whole purpose from the beginning was for the Big Ten to be cosmic or to be allegorical? Could it be that never was God's intention that man tried to keep the Big Ten from an external source? In other words, that God's purpose was not for them to get ten rules or ten laws to follow in some external mode. We can read in the book of James where it says, if you break in one area, you're guilty of all. So if you can just think this through a little bit, if God wanted Israel to be a nation or a kingdom of priests, how could they have been a kingdom of priests? Because remember, they went to Moses and they said, you know, you hear from God, and then you come and tell us. Come and tell us what God said. And then the scripture also says that they told Moses, give us some rules and some regulations, and we'll do them. 
realizing they were totally incapable of doing them or keeping them according to an external perspective. Now, we talked about thou shalt not kill, and I want to go back and mention a few things that uh, possibly will help us understand this a little bit more. We did all ten of the Cosmic Big Ten as I awarded them. But in Thou Shalt Not Kill, we found out that Jesus said, Don't fear him that can kill the body. How many know why he said that? Because no one can kill anyone. You just evolve into another realm of life. But then he went on to say, Fear him that is able to cast both soul and body into hell. And we found out that hell is the left hemisphere. Thinking in and of itself. The left hemisphere in and of itself, carnal thinking in and of itself, not having this side yielded to the Christ mind in the single eye. And so who was the hymn? Remember who the hymn was when it went on to say, when Jesus said, fear him that's able to cast body and soul into hell? The hymn was religion and us. So we need to fear, it's not, you know, some fleshly fear as, you know, being scared, but we need to be concerned about the fact, I believe is what it's really saying, that if we don't live from the Christ mind in the single eye, if we're not involved in the spontaneous meditation when, you know, situations and suggestions are made to us, if this is not swallowed up by this, then what happens, we are the ones, through our religious thoughts and ideas and carnal thoughts, cast ourselves into hell. And so that's what hell is. Think about if you would live your life just out of natural reasoning, just out of natural intellect, just out of carnal thinking. What does Romans 8 say? Paul said to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So the, the purpose is, the point is for us to, because God gave the left side, nothing wrong with it, we've been finding out. The purpose of the Father is for the two to become one. Right now you could say in a sense, this is the bride. But when the two become one, we become the lamb's wife. You see, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But what I want to do is I want to go back once again and look at some things, because remember I told you, in the injunction, thou shalt not kill, that Moses gave them, in the very next chapter, chapter 21 of Exodus, they're killing half the town. And it lists different reasons and different causes which had to do with their behavior, why they killed them right after they were told not to kill. So I want to look at a little bit of that tonight uh, and give you the allegorical component to those that had certain behavior and ended up being stoned. Now, in Exodus 21 and verse 24, and we're not going to turn there right now. We'll go back there a little bit later. There is where it says, and I'm going to paraphrase a little, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, or a hand for a hand and a foot for a foot. Now, what is that talking about? That is basically, basically talking about the fact that if you did a certain thing, if your behavior was not according to living from spirit or your oneness in the Father, and you did something behaviorally in your life, you would reap the consequences of whatever it was that you did. Some people call that karma. I, you know, kind of termed a little phrase that I called a killing karma. 
You'd be involved in a killing karma, as it were. In other words, you would reap what you sowed, but that was because of behavior where when you come to the New Testament, which we'll look at in Galatians chapter 6, when you reap what you have sown, if you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. That has to do, first of all, with an awareness, because you see all of the works of the flesh in Galatians and all of the fruit of the Spirit come not as a result of you trying to bear fruit or trying not to be involved in works of the flesh. They all come, first and foremost, from an awareness that you have. If you have a fleshly awareness and you're living out here, what are you going to bear but the works of the flesh? If you're living, you know, by the single eye and the mind of Christ, what are you going to automatically bear but the fruit of the Spirit? So what I'm saying is it was about behavior in the Old Testament. In the New, it is about the awareness that then produces a certain behavior or not produces a certain behavior. So that's what we're going to look at. But now what I want to do is I want to just kind of build the narrative up. So let's go to Psalm 40 in verse 6. And what I want to show you first of all, and we looked at these verses when we did our series on no penal substitution. But to build up what I'm going to be saying later tonight, I want us to look at three scriptures where it tells us that our Father, God, never wanted them to kill an animal. Never wanted anything to be killed. God is life. He never instituted animal sacrifices. That came as a result of Moses. So what do we want to do is we want to look at the allegorical or the spiritual understanding of these animal sacrifices. And I want us to see that it wasn't a four-legged animal that it was talking about. It was the no-legged animal that's running through our head. That's what needed to be sacrificed. And that is still what needs to be sacrificed today. And when I say sacrifice, I don't mean in some energy of the flesh. I'm talking about as you live from the right side, it will automatically be swallowed up. See, and you can say sacrifice. Some people say crucified. But it's really easier than that. It's really easier than fighting and trying to, you know, kill something or deny something. It's about getting over here by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit and allowing this over here to swallow up the left side. Otherwise, you kind of get into a little works. You could get into a little legalism there. But look what it says here in Psalm 40 and verse 6. It says, and this is God's idea about animal sacrifice. It says, sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears, now here's the key. This is what God wanted. Mine ears hast thou opened. That's what God wanted. He didn't want any animal sacrifice. He wanted the people to hear. Why? Because he wanted to, them to be a nation or a kingdom of priests. And this is why I'm connecting this together with, you know what? I believe that the Big Ten were always meant to be taken in an allegorical sense so that Israel could have been the kingdom of priests and the nation of priests. He only wanted them to hear, it says here in Psalm 40, verse 6, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ears thou hast opened, burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. So what is the animal sacrifice? What do the animal sacrifices point to? Let me have you uh, look at also Isaiah 1 and verse 11. The animal sacrifices were not about killing animals and all the bloodshed that was going on, but the animal sacrifices point, and I believe they really, if they'd have heard by the Spirit, they'd have seen this way back in the Old Testament. The animal sacrifices re represent 
uh, a realization the animal sacrifice represents us taking our beastly thoughts. Let me say it this way. Giving the 10%, paying our tithe, if you will. They say we think on the left side out of 10%, only use 10%. To me, that's the tithe. It's being willing to submit that to the spirit, bringing that 10% and submitting it to the 90% so you can think out of 100% of your mind. That's the good news. And, you know, when you're thinking out of 100% of your mind, there's a whole lot of things that begin to happen in your life. I mean, all kind of inventions and different things can come forth. Uh, but because we've only used basically 10%, thank God we're beginning to use more of the mind of Christ now. And we're headed through these teachings. We're beginning to find out, you know, we never came here as a sinner. We came here upright. We never came here with an Adamic identity. So all of that is helping us to tap into this dimension, which will automatically and effortlessly begin to swallow up that which is on the left side. Now, look what it says here in Isaiah, still about animal sacrifices. Isaiah 1.11, it says, What purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices? He's asked the question, what in the world are you even offering animal sacrifices for? I'm full of burnt offerings. I'm full of it. I'm sick of it. That's really what he's saying. I am full of burnt offerings of rams and beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or rams or goats. I don't delight in it, he said. I'm sick of it. I'm full of it. I just want you to hear. See, and under the old covenant, obedience had to do with what they did, but obedience in the new covenant today is hearing. It is hearing and then following the voice that we're hearing. Now, another verse of scripture, and I'm not going to turn here. I'm just going to quote this to you. But it's in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. And this is what it says. It says, I never spoke to the fathers about offering animal sacrifices. I never spoke to the fathers. When they were coming out of Egypt, God says, I never spoke to them. He says that through Jeremiah. I never spoke to the fathers when they were coming out of Egypt about offering animal sacrifices. So just to build up the narrative of what we're going to be talking about tonight, I wanted to read those three verses of Scripture. Isaiah 40, or uh, Psalm 40, excuse me, Isaiah 1, and Jeremiah chapter 7. So what are we talking about? Why is this even in the Bible? Why was it necessary? What was it that our father really wanted out of the people of Israel? And what is it that he desires from us today? Well, he simply desires only, he simply desires only for us to do what Jesus said, exercise the single eye, turn within, and live from the inside out. That's all that he desires. And, you know, medical science is really beginning to tap into the understanding that our thinking can really cause us a lot of medical problems. It can cause it. It's the culprit of medical problems for the most part. It is the culprit of social problems that we have had. So as we sacrifice, for the lack of a better word, as we sacrifice the lower thoughts, that's what the animal sacrifices represented. And we know that if we went back to... Uh, the book of Leviticus, we'd find that there were five major offerings of Israel. First one was the burnt offering, which was a voluntary offering. Then there was a sin offering. Then there was a trespass offering. Then there was a peace offering. And then there was a meal offering. Now, Jesus was the burnt offering. So I want to talk a little bit about the burnt offering. 
because one of the amazing things that we can see about the sacrificing is in the constellations of the stars we can see as you read concerning the constellations and we're going to go into the book of job chapter 38 a little bit later and show you some words that point to the constellations or to the stars but in the constellations talking about the burnt offering there is aries a-r-i-e-s and aries means the lamb or the ram and listen it was called a burnt offering now, this burnt offering takes place as the sun. We've talked about in this series that around the 21st, 22nd of December, the sun goes down into the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, and it's down there, and it begins to rise on December 25th, and that's why they've chosen December 25th to celebrate new life or the birth of Jesus Christ. But as that sun begins to come up, and as it consumes the burnt offering, as it consumes, because that's what Aries means, it means the ram or the lamb, and it signifies the burnt offering. So as the S-U-N comes up and consumes Aries, we move then from winter to spring, and then the sun moves to the right, and that's when we come into summertime. Isn't that interesting? Now, the same thing happens in us. When we see the word S-O-N, of course it's talking about Jesus Christ, but now when we see S-U-N, it wasn't put there by mistake. Like, for example, in Revelation chapter 12, it talks about the woman that had the crown of 12 stars upon her head, and that represents the mind of Christ. And then it says she was clothed with the S-U-N. It doesn't say S-O-N, clothed with the S-U-N. So what is that talking about? Listen, what happens in the constellations is a macrocosm. What happens within us, because the same thing that happens out there in the constellation happens in us as the energy, as the fire, as the burnt offering in our solar plexus, which is related to by the S-U-N, as it begins to rise up within us and go up the energy fields, and it comes to the Sabbath, the seventh energy field, and it throws open the right hemisphere. That's the... Listen, the constellations is a macrocosm, that's the microcosm, as it happens within you and I. So what are we talking about? When we move from winter into spring, it has to do with the burnt offering. It has to do with the sun coming up and consuming Aries, that means the ram, and means the burnt offering, that's the macrocosm. But the microcosm is when, because of living from the right side, the S-U-N begins to rise up, and it comes up, as I said, to the seventh, some people call it chakra or energy field, and it begins to throw open the right side, but in the meantime, it causes the chrism to flow. That's the oil that's a milky colored substance, and then it comes from the pineal to the pituitary, and it's a golden substance, and you are then experiencing the land, which you're the land, flowing with milk and honey. Mm-hmm. Now, the same thing that happens in the constellations happens within you and I. So what are we saying? We are simply seeing that the animal sacrifices take place in the heavens or in the constellations and also takes place in our heavens and then takes place in our bodies. Now, I shared with you in this series that there were five Passovers. The first Passover is when we move from winter to spring. It's a passing over from winter to spring. Then there's another Passover that takes place when our awareness... Well, let me back up a little bit. There was a Passover when Israel came out of Egypt. 
that was Passover when Jesus and his death, burial, resurrection. And now there's a Passover in our heavens because when we move from the winter of our life, the coldness and the deadness and the dryness spiritually in our life, over to the springtime of our life, that is when the S-U-N begins to rise up as a result of living on this side and does all of those neat things. We talked about the melatonin, and that's why I believe it's so important to meditate uh, at nighttime when you go in the dark room because it produces, the pineal gland produces the melatonin that reverses the aging process, that kills cancer cells, that will swallow up blockages in the heart, that balances the circadian rhythm, does a whole lot of, reverses the aging process. All of that happens through the secretion of the melatonin when we meditate in the dark. The citrasures in darkness. So what has happened out there in the constellations is the macrocosm, when it happens in us, it's the microcosm. And the same thing that happens out there happens within us. We come out of the winter of our spiritual life. Any of you felt a little dead and cold and, you know, have you ever experienced, we've all experienced that in our life. And then something begins to happen where we come over here to the right side and we begin to live out of the mind of Christ and live from the inside out. We begin to experience new life. There's a Passover from the deadness and the coldness to the experience of new life. Now, let me have you go back to Exodus chapter 21. So what happens in the heavens is happening in our heavens. See, what happened in the heavens where the constellations are concerned. And let me just say, when we get to Job, we're going to find out that Job is the oldest book in the Bible. And because it talks about the constellations, means that the constellations were here thousands of years before there ever was a Bible written. And so there's some real important things that we can look at in the correlation between the constellations, what happened in out in the heavens out there literally, what happened in the heavens in the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt, what happened in the heavens in Jesus, what happens in the heavens within us, it all correlates together and flows together. You can't have one without the other. See, but, but religion has not taught us. They've been afraid of the constellations out there. They've been afraid of the macrocosm, you see. But I'm not afraid of the macrocosm because I see that they parallel one another. You know, do you know that, uh, that people that are not really in Christ as far as their experience can be affected by the constellations? Mm -hmm. Sometimes in a negative way, you know, a woman's about ready to deliver a baby. Sometimes they say, well, the moon's a certain way, so she's probably going to go into labor tonight. And J. Press Neby years ago wrote a whole lot of lessons on the constellations. And one of the things that he said is, when we are in Christ, of course we're all in Christ, but when we're deeply experiencing the in Christ of life, then those things out there don't affect us in a negative way. There's no way they can affect us in a negative way. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 21 here. And what are we going to look at? We're going to look at an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And remember when we looked at the cosmic Big Ten, I stated to you that the one that tells us to honor our father and mother, we found out what does that mean to honor our father and mother. It's not talking about our parents. It's not, and of course, we honor our parents. Certainly we do. You know, they didn't know any better. I don't think they knew any more than what they taught us, just like religion didn't, for the most part, know any more than what they taught us. But we were deceived about a lot of things that we were raised with and that religion told us that, that was not really the full truth. But to honor our father and mother that our days may be long in the land, this is the land right here that we may live long, to honor 
our father and mother. Remember, our father was the divine mind, and our mother was our Holy Spirit that quickens the truth and reveals the truth unto us. So we found out that we must honor, if we want to live long in this land, we must honor our divine mind. We must put it first. And we must honor our Holy Spirit so that that word can become quickened within us. Why do we need it quickened? Because if it's not quickened and if it's not a reality, you're not going to walk in it and experience it. And that's what we're about. We're not about a head full of knowledge over here. But what we're about is to have that truth revealed to us that we can experience it and that we can walk in it. That's what we want to do. I believe our Father is experience. Yes, He's spirit. But he is experienced, and that's what he wants for our lives. Mm. Now, in Exodus 21, in verse 15, verses 15 through 25, remember I told you how that Moses once again said, Thou shalt not kill. But then when you got in the very next chapter, half of the city was being killed. So I want to look at those that were being killed and being stoned, and I want us to see, because listen, if thou shalt not kill is allegorical, then don't you think that those who were killed and stoned in chapter 21 have to be allegorical? Absolutely. You can't just look at one as literal and the other as allegorical. They have to both be allegorical. So let's begin there in verse 15, and let's look at these in an allegorical. What are we looking at? We're looking at those that were stoned and those that were killed. Okay? So look what it says in verse 15. It says, And he that smiteth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. Now, we looked at thou shalt not kill a couple of weeks ago, but notice here in verse 15, you're going to kill someone who hits their father or mother. Isn't that what it says there? If you smite, if you smite your father or mother, you're going to be killed. And remember what Jesus said, we don't call, listen, we call no man on earth our father. So this is a mystical father that he's talking about in verse 15. It's a mystical mother that we're talking about. And again, what was the father? The divine mind. What was the mother? Our Holy Spirit. So listen, if we do not protect our divine mind, if that's not a priority in our life to live from the divine mind or from the mind of Christ, if it's not a priority to be taught from the Holy Spirit rather than from man, what are we doing? We're doing exactly what it says here in verse 15. He that smiteth his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Now, what happens if we smite father and mother? What happens if we don't have as a priority the divine mind and our Holy Spirit? What kind of death are we going to experience? We're going to experience death to our spiritual experience. Death to our spiritual experience. We're not going to have a spiritual experience. If the divine mind, if living from the inside out is not a priority in our life, and if hearing from the Holy Spirit is not a priority in our life, what are we doing? We are killing the experience of walking the way the Father desired for us to walk. We're killing that spiritual experience. out of our, We're sabotaging ourselves. Now, look what it goes on to say in verse 16. For the second one, and he that stealeth a man and selleth him. Or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. Now, man here represents the mind as a whole. And woman here represents the emotions on the left side. So here we're talking about stealing 
from the mind, which is what religion has done. They have stolen from our mind. They've not allowed us. They've not ministered a word that caused us to become one. Our mind of Christ to swallow up this mind here that wants to be independent. We've not heard that kind of teaching. So look what it says again. He that selleth a man and selleth him, or he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. So the man speaks of the mind here, and the woman speaks of the emotions, and it's talking about stealing people's mind away from them and selling it. Now, who has done that but religion? Now, I don't think there's any money involved here. Although I do know that people wrote books and made millions of dollars, like The Lord's Gotta Come in 1988. The writer, the author of that book, made millions of dollars uh, purporting a lie. But you know, there's a scripture in Isaiah that says, buy the truth and sell it not. Now, this is what I see, and you don't have to buy this if you don't want to, because this is exactly what it means. What does this mean? Let me read that again in verse uh, 16. And he that stealeth a man, or stealeth people's mind, and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. So man representing the mind. You see, the religious system took our mind away from us. And then they, once they got it, they sold it. What does it mean to sell it? It means to try to force your opinion upon people yeah. by throwing it down or trying to jam it down their throat. I said this last week. I said, you know what? I don't teach these things for you to believe like I believe. Because that doesn't work. But I teach these things so that you can be inspired to turn within and live from the inside out. See? So to buy, you know, to, to steal a mind, that's what religion has done. They've stolen our mind. And then they turned around and sold it. In other words, they ministered a theological lie, concepts, confusing concepts, and they tried to sell it to us or jam it down our throat. It doesn't work. You cannot jam the truth down anyone's throat. You can hopefully inspire them, as I said, to want to live from the inside out. But this is what this is talking about. And notice it says that person that does that, he's put to death too. Well, guess what? Religion feeds from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that tree, listen, good and evil here on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil are simply on opposite ends of the same stick. You could say good is here and evil's here. And there's a lot of good that ain't God. But the tree of life, you see, is all the Father. See, it's all spirit. Now, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But look what it goes on to say then in verse 17. It says, And he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Now, that's not talking about cussing your mom and dad out. No. Using foul language. That's not what it's talking about. What is the father? Again, it's the divine mind. What is the mother? It's your Holy Spirit. So what would it be? It would be if we curse the divine mind, if we curse our Holy Spirit, that means we're not honoring it. We're not exalting it. Honor means to exalt and to lift up. See, and this is what has happened in the midst of religion. They're not honoring the divine mind because they're not speaking out of that. They're not honoring the Holy Spirit because they're not getting it from the Spirit. It's just concepts of man, traditions and doctrines of man is all that it is. You sabotage yourself. It's just a bunch of concepts and, and ideas. And one of the biggest ones, I believe, is we came here as a sinner. We came here with an Adamic identity. 
that has filtered through the religious system so strongly and it's so big in the minds of people that you cannot, no matter what you say, it's very hard to turn people around and to show them. As Ephesians 1, 3 and 4 and 2 Timothy 1, 9 says, we were chosen, we were called, we were saved, we were made righteous, we were made holy, we were blameless from before the foundation of the world. We came here, we were born in heaven, folks. We were born in the most holy place. That's what renting the veil means from top to bottom. We were born in that high place. We were born in heaven. We came here holy. We came here righteous. We came here one. We were never separate from the Father. Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where it says God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world unto himself. What was that talking about? God didn't need to be reconciled. It says reconciling the world unto himself. And one of the meanings of reconcile there is to agree. Getting us to agree that we were never separate. Getting us to agree that we never had an Adamic identity. Getting us to agree with him that we were never sinners. We were never in an old man. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is what it's saying in verse 17. Let me read it again. He that curseth his father, divine mind, or mother, Holy Spirit, shall certainly be put to death. And what does that put to death mean? It means we cut off, we sabotage ourselves because we have not honored the divine mind, not honored our Holy Spirit by turning within and living from the inside out. So we have cut off, we've sabotaged our own spiritual experience. And that's what it's talking about where it talks about being put to death. Well, we need to realize, and one of the things that uh, I believe is a high priority for us to recognize is that we came here okay. There was nothing wrong with us. What does the scripture say in Colossians 1.21? We were alienated and enemies or sinners or having an Adamic identity in our mind. So what needed to be saved was simply our mind. What needed to be saved was simply the realization that we were never separate. We were always one in him. Now, Look at verse 24 here in Exodus 21. In verse 24, it says, Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now, again, this was according to their behavior. Okay? This was according to their behavior. In the new covenant, it's according to awareness that produces the behavior. You see? And that's what we need to understand. But here it was behavior. But see, I'm convinced, and I'm getting more and more convinced, that since God wanted Israel to be a kingdom of priests, a nation of priests, that all of the Big Ten were really meant to be taken allegorically. I really believe that. I don't believe that was ever the intention. Uh, that's the way the people took it. Why? Because that's where they were living. And so they took it as, give us some rules and we'll do it. Not knowing, not having any clue that they never could have done them to start with. So what it says here in verse 24, again, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And this was according to their behavior. Now, what this shows us is when we're talking about, and we'll get there a little bit later in Galatians, the law of sowing and reaping. It is not a law of God because God is not a rewarder or punisher. In other words, let's say I do something that's out of character uh, of living from the inside out. God's not going to punish me. He's not a punisher. Guess where that punishment is going to, or the consequence, I should say, guess where that's going to come from? It's going to come from me. 
And in that sense, the law of sowing and reaping is a law of man. It's not a law of God. God is not the one that punishes. God is not the one that brings the consequences. He doesn't reward. We're his reward, folks. He doesn't, he doesn't reward other than making us his reward, but he neither does he punish. So that's why the law of sowing and reaping, see, if you can think about it, these people brought this on themselves because of what? Behavior. Because of their behavior. Now, here's what I wanted to get to, verse 28. This is the one that I, I really wanted to. This is my real text here for what we're going to be talking about tonight. So look what it says there in verse 28 of Exodus chapter 21. If an ox gore a man or a woman, or hurt a man or a woman, use the word gore here, that they die, then the ox shall be surely stoned and his flesh shall not be eaten. Now, what we need to understand here simply is that these verses were given, listen, were given by mystical people that understood cosmology. They understood the stars. They understood the formation. Remember when they went to find Jesus after his birth? It says they followed the star. So these people that wrote this understood cosmology. They were a mystical people. They understood these things. And of course, we know that the people here of Israel, obviously, they took all of this literal when I don't think God ever meant for it to be literal because he wanted them to be a kingdom of priests. Now, let me ask you this question. Are there any of you tonight here that have an ox? Do you own an ox? Bill, do you own an ox? Is there an ox somewhere back in your backyard that, that I'm missing? Uh, I've seen some deer back here from time to time, but I don't think you have an ox, right? Nope. But what are we talking about? We're talking about a very important aspect of cosmology. That's what we're talking about. Remember when I talked about the ox and the ass? I shared with you how that the ox represents the natural strength, the flesh or the natural strength, and the ass represents, that needed to be sacrificed, represents the stubborn of, stubbornness excuse me, of people. The ox represents fleshly strength. You know, like it says in Zechariah 4, 6, it's not by mental might nor by physical strength or power, that's the ox, but by my spirit or by my consciousness, says the Lord. Now, what does this point to? As I said, these people that wrote this understood cosmology. So what does this ox point to in cosmology, in the constellations? Well, if you search this out, you'll find out that it represents the ox in cosmology points to Taurus the bull. Mm. Taurus the bull. Now, let me have you go to Job chapter 38, and let's look at this just for a few minutes. Job chapter 38. As I said, the book of Job is the oldest book of the Bible, and it was written thousands of years after the truth was given concerning the stars. How many know the handiwork of God is displayed in the heavens? The heavens declare the handiwork of God. We can see a lot of scriptures, especially in Psalms, that talk about cosmology, that talk about the heavens, that talk about the stars and their formation and so forth. But here in Job chapter 38, and this is right before the book of Psalms, Notice what it says there. It says, Canst thou bind the sweet influences of Pallades? Now notice it's called influences. Why? Because when you're not deeply in Christ, cosmology can affect you. It can affect your mood. The moon can affect you in certain ways. 
So it calls Pallades an influence, a sweet influence. And then it goes on to say, or loose, canst thou bind the sweet influence of Pallades, or loose the bands of Orion, verse 32, canst thou bring forth Nazareth in his season, or canst thou guide Arcturus with his sons? Now, Nazareth just simply means, if you study that word and look that word up, it simply is talking about the 12 signs of the zodiac. And Arcturus is a mighty constellation. But out of this, this is what we need to see. As I said, Job is the oldest book in the Bible. The stars, the constellations were here thousands of years before the Bible was even written. And so what does this book of Job reveal to us? Well, one of the things it reveals is astronomy, not astrology. Astrology, uh, astrology is more uh, what the world uses the constellations and the stars for. There's a difference, I believe, in astronomy and astrology. Uh, people in New Age are in astrology. I'm not talking about astrology. I'm not talking about telling fortunes and you know, what sign you were born. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about astronomy, and I'm talking about the heavens declaring the handiwork of God. In other words, these things, everything was written in the stars. Do you know that Jesus' virgin birth was written in the stars by the sign Virgo? Do you know that when the sun goes through the crux, that's talking about going through the cross, and that talks about Jesus being hung on a cross? There are constellations that talk about the uh, death, the burial, the resurrection. There are constellations that talk about us. All the way through the scriptures, we can see things that were already written in the stars thousands of years before we ever had a Bible, and it depicts everything that you see that happened in the Bible. It depicts that which has to do with the macrocosm and also that which has to do with the microcosm, which is us and what happens in us. Now, let's read this again in Exodus 21, 28, because this is what I want to pick up on and kind of develop this. If an ox gore a man, now what are we looking at? According to cosmology, what was the ox? The ox was Taurus the bull. Okay? Symbolically, cosmetology, that's what it's talking about, or cos... cos Cosmology, yes, if I can get it right here. But what is it? It's the, the ox is the power of the flesh, and it's the natural strength, and it's also the lower thoughts that you and I would have. So in other words, listen, the lower thoughts, what did it talk about? It talked about an ox that gored or hurt someone. Let me just go back and, and just kind of look at that one more time. The ox, it says, if an ox gore a man or a woman, that they die. So what is this talking about? This is simply talking about the lower thoughts, the realm of flesh that we get involved in when we're thinking with the left side. What are we doing? We are goring or we are hurting our spiritual life. That's what's happening. We're goring ourselves. We're hurting ourselves. If we do not allow, listen, the, what happened in the heavens out there, the macrocosm, to happen in the microcosm in our heavens... If we do not allow the sun, the S-U-N, within our bodies to rise, just like the sun rose that brought us from winter recently to spring, and then that sun comes to the right side and it enters or ushers us into the summertime, if we do not allow that to happen within us, what do we do? We are goring the ox. That's what it's talking about. If an ox gore, an ox is the natural strength or the flesh or the lower thoughts. If we allow the lower thoughts and the natural strength 
and the natural might to be in residence within our life, in the leadership in our life, govern our life, guess what? They, we're being gored by the ox. And if that happens, we die, it says. If a man or woman is gored by an ox, hurt by an ox, and they die, see, if we're gored by the ox, by the natural strength and the lower thoughts, then guess what? In the flesh, then what? We cut off our spiritual experience in him. Now, not only that, but let me go back and read that again back in Exodus chapter uh, 21 about the ox. Notice what it goes on to say. Then the ox shall be surely stoned. So let me ask you, what is the stone? The stone is our pineal gland. The stone is called, or the pineal gland is called a stone. In other words, when you think from the left side, you're only going to hurt yourself. But when you think from the right side, and when the S-U-N begins to come out of the solar plexus, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. They could have said out of your solar plexus shall flow rivers of living water. When that energy begins to come up, what does it do when it comes to the Sabbath or the seventh energy field? It throws open the right side, but it affects the pineal gland, which is defined as a stone. So the way that we're going to stone the ox or have the burnt offering is when we think out of this right hemisphere, what that represents, and the energy begins to flow and affect the pineal and the pituitary, what are we doing? We are goring or we are stoning, since the pineal refers to the, to the stone, we are goring or we're killing the ox or getting rid of the fleshly lower mentality or the thoughts of the left side. Hello. And we're producing or bringing into our own life the spiritual experience. Now, Jesus said it this way when he talked about building upon the sand. Because, you know, the pineal, when it's not exercised, is of a sandy consistency. And he said if you build your house upon the sand and the storm comes, it's not going to stand. But if you build your house upon the rock, See, the pineal, I believe, is the rock that was rejected, the stone that was rejected. The builders rejected it. I think it's the pineal gland. Now, that's all Christ as well. It's all Christ. It's all anointing. It's all one and the same thing. But when the pineal is in an unyou, when we're not exercising the single eye, you know what happens to the pineal? It becomes, it, it atrophies. And how many know when you have atrophy in any muscle of your body, you can barely use it? So most people today have pineal glands that are atrophied. And religion has caused that because they've rejected the stone. Hello? They're the builders that rejected the stone. They rejected Christ. They rejected the mother and the father. They rejected these things. They haven't taught these things. And so most people have a pineal gland that's just so atrophied, you know, it would take a while to get it to uh, become hardened like a stone. And it's all tied in, listen, it's all tied in to the mind of Christ. It's all tied into exercising and living from the inside out. Again, let me go back to the sun-clothed woman in Revelation chapter 12. She had the mind of Christ on with the crown of 12 stars, and she was clothed by the S-U-N, meaning what? Not only did she live out of the mind of Christ, but it caused that the 
solar plexus within her to release that energy, the S-U-N, and guess what happened then? When that energy was released, what did she birth? She birthed Christ. She birthed the man-child. In other words, there was fruit that came out. There was fruit, not works of the flesh. There was fruit, not natural energy, not lower thoughts. What came out of her was the birthing of the man-child or the birthing of Christ. And listen, it wasn't something that she bore that was here today and gone tomorrow, but it was something that was fruit that remained. She birthed Christ. And that's the whole plan of salvation, whatever you want to call it for us. The purpose of God for us is to birth, simply birth Christ. And so what I'm teaching you is just kind of the workings of that. Honor our Father and our Mother, our Divine Mind, our Holy Spirit. Turn within. Jesus said it's not that which is without that defiles a man. It's that which is within. It's what we put within ourselves. See, it's not demons and devils, and that's not what defiles a man. It's not something out here in the external that defiles people. It's what we put into us. See, it's what we put into us. And, and Dr. Bill Hanshaw, he did a word study on um, devils and demons and so forth, and he shared the fact that the etymology of those words take you right back to mindsets. Remember the guy that had the demons so-called cast out of him called Legion? Do you know that if you do a word study on legion, it'll bring you to a Latin word, religion? And it says he came to his right mind. Yeah. Hello? He came to his right mind. He was so bound by religion, there was all kind of manifestations coming out of him. But Jesus brought him back to his right mind. And it was legion, again, the etymology of that is religion. What does religion mean? Re means again. Legend means in Latin to bind again. And that's what Paul told the Galatians. He said, you know, you, you embraced Christ. And what happened to you? You went back to religion. You went back to be all bound up again, you see. And so, so many people are so bound up today because what are they doing? Natural strength, the ox. And they also have the ass in there as well because they're stubborn as all get out. You can't tell them a thing. <laughs> they know it all. Isn't that, you know, they're, they're in the teenage realm in Christ, in their understanding, I should say. What does that mean? You can't tell a teenager anything. They know it all. Mom and dad don't know a thing. <laughs> but the teenager knows it all, you see. And that's what you have in religion. They know it all. And until, you see, until spirit begins to draw them to where they're open, you see, they'll not come to the place to where they finally give up and say, you know what, I want this. I want this. I want to experience this. I'm tired of living from the external. I want to live from the inside out. And that's the key. Remember in Luke chapter 11, uh, Jesus said there, you take away the key of knowledge because you don't go in yourself and you hinder those that are entering in. See, you tell them, oh, stay away from meditation. You open yourself up to demons and devils and all this pineal gland stuff. It's just a bunch of crap. No, it's a thing we need. It's a thing we need, and we need to embrace, and we need to honor our father and our mother. So that's what we have here. Now, look what it goes on to say, and I'm about ready to close here. Exodus 21, 28, it goes on to say a little bit more about this ox. It says that the, the flesh of the ox shall not be eaten. Now, let me, let me just go back and read that whole thing again. The flesh of the ox shall not be eaten. Notice what it says. If an ox gore a man or a woman that they die, then the ox shall surely be stoned, and his flesh, the ox, his flesh, the flesh of the ox, shall not 
be eaten. So what is that saying? That's saying don't take into yourself the ox is what? The lower thoughts, the ox is the natural strength, the ox is the flesh realm, the external realm. And he says don't take that into you. Don't eat the ox. Don't eat the flesh or the lower thoughts. Don't take any of that natural strength into you. Because when you take it into you, see this is what we're to take into us, the Christ mind. Exercising the single eye. That's what we're to take into us. So don't, don't, don't eat the ox. Don't take it into you is what it's saying there. So the scripture is telling us that the flesh cannot be taken into us. But listen, it has to be stoned. It has to be stoned. And the only way it's going to be stoned, the only way you're going to stone the flesh, hello, is by the right side. And it'll automatically happen. It'll automatically happen. If we live from the inside out and that energy begins, that microcosm begins to flow in us, the S-U-N comes up and we come to the Sabbath when the energy hits the seventh energy field, what does it do? It gets the chrism, the anointing or the chrism or Christ to flow from the pineal to the pituitary and we're experiencing the land that flows with milk and honey. Listen, the land that flows with milk and honey is not in the Middle East anywhere. It's you. All of this is happening within us, folks. And that's the good news. Now, let me kind of kill a little sacred cow if you'll allow me to. Let's go to John chapter 6. Not that I'm trying to do that, but how many know we need some sacred cows to be slaughtered? Right? And where are they? Between our ears. John chapter 6 and verse 53. Now, we just found out that they were not to eat the ox. In other words, we're not to take natural strength, natural ability, intellect... We're not to take carnal thoughts. We're not to take that into us, the strength. It's not by mental might, nor is it by physical or natural strength, but it is by my spirit or consciousness, says the Lord. We're not to take the ox into ourselves, natural strength. We're to take this, the right side, into ourselves. Now, I want to connect that with communion. And in John chapter 6 and verse 53, because listen, let me just say this. I have been ministering for 40 years now. And I could probably count on one hand the times we've had literal communion where we had the grape juice and the wafer. Now, I'm not against that if people want to do that. I don't have an axe to grind about that. You know, if people want to do that and I'm in the church, I may take it with them. Who knows? But I'm just simply saying you can do that and not have true communion. You can do that and not live out of the right side one iota not for one second so like i said 40 years of ministry i could probably count on one hand how many times we served you know the cracker or the wafer and the grape juice or the wine why where does it go when you take it into your stomach well i guess i don't have to answer that question but uh, it just goes out to the drought right now i know that god has met some people when they had you know have taken communion you know why? That's where they were. I am talking about something completely different. What I'm talking about is coming to a place where we live so much from the inside out that that's communion, where we have constant communion with the Father, constant communion with our divine mind, constant communion with our father and mother, constant communion with the Holy Spirit. And fruit that remains, that's what I'm about, fruit that remains begins to flow out. So look what he says here in John 6, 53. And this is Jesus speaking. 
This is Jesus speaking, and, and listen, this is a condition for us to have or experience life, spiritual life. Look what it says. Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Now what that's saying there, ye have no life in you, is you won't experience this life. You have it in you. Every, every man, woman, boy, and girl has it in them or they couldn't be breathing and walking tonight. They have the life of God in them. They came here with the life of God. They were never separate from the life of God. But you'll not be experiencing it. If you don't have this sweet communion that he's talking about here in John 6, 53, you're not going to be able to walk in and experience this life. And the problem is people are so religionized and Christianized and westernized and, and, and so fundamentalized, compartmentalized, compartmentalized all of those eyes, <laughs> you know, that, that it's hard for people to receive this. But again, this is spiritual. We have to understand this is allegorical. He's not talking, you know, and the Catholics believed, I don't, I don't know if they still believe it, but they used to believe that when they partook of the bread and the wine, they called it transubstantiation, transubstantiation, that the bread would turn into the literal flesh body of Jesus. And I've heard testimonies where people, when they chewed the wafer, it was like they were chewing on flesh. I mean, that kind of almost turns your stomach, right? And then when they would drink the wine or the grape juice, whatever they used, it would turn in and taste like blood. Can you imagine? They believed that. Now, don't misunderstand. I've known people that got healed taking communion. Why? Because he met them. The Father met them where they were. I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about something higher. I'm talking about experiencing this fruit that remains. Now, just as you don't in Exodus 21, 28, go up and literally take a bite out of a bull in the burnt offering or literally suck out the blood out of the bull the same way here in John 6 53 this is not to be taken literal good. again if people do it that's fine and if I was like I said in a church I might take it with him but you know what there's something much deeper here that we need to understand if we want to experience life we need to be communing com communing if I can talk uh, on a consistent basis so, let me give you some definition here as I close. First of all, flesh and bread here means knowledge. Flesh and bread means knowledge. You know, we talk about the bread of life or the staff of life. It means knowledge in the scripture. And the word blood or wine here, according to John 6, 53, is spirit. So, son of man, you see, that he talks about here, except you eat the flesh of the son of man, Son of Man is referring to us being taught of the Spirit, receiving not just head knowledge or intellectual, but the spiritual knowledge because the Spirit has quickened that within us. And as we do that, as it says here in John 6, 53, then we can experience this life. We can experience. Once we receive the intimate knowledge, the quickened knowledge that the Spirit, which the wine represents, the blood represents, then we can walk in this life, not just have it, but we can walk in this life. So an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth to them, they took it as behavior. For us, we take it as awareness, and of course, out of awareness can come, you know, behavior, and it can be great behavior or it can be, you know, squirrely behavior, depending on what's between our ears because our awareness is a projector. Now, two more scriptures, then we're going to close. Go, if you will, to Galatians, because I promised you we'd go to Galatians 6. 
and verse 8. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 8. And as I've already stated, the law of sowing and reaping is a law of man. Why? Because God is not a rewarder or a punisher. God does not bring negative consequences in our life. Never. He does not. We do. Hello. And the church has never told people that they're responsible. That when God, you know, made them in his image after his likeness and he blessed them and said, have dominion. We've been taught, well, it's all going to be fine and dandy one day after the rapture or after we die or the pie in the sky or whatever. We have never been taught responsibility where spiritual things are concerned. Look what it says here in Galatians 6, verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh, that's the left side. You sow to the left side, what are you going to reap? Shall of the flesh, or the left side, reap corruption. Now, let me just say something here. Because here's one of the meanings of corruption. This could even apply to something good that appears good. Yeah. For example, and we have this in our Living Out of Our Spiritual Resources book. For example, if someone comes and they, they want healing just to have a better humanhood, they may get that healing. That healing may manifest, but it's corruptible. Meaning it's here today and gone tomorrow. So what we want to teach people is to sow spirit seeds in our awareness. And then as we sow spirit seeds in our awareness, the rest of that says, but he that soweth to the spirit, when you sow from the right side, you're going to reap everlasting life or fruit that remains. That's good. See, isn't that good? See, now, who does this? Who's the one that either sows to the flesh or sows to the spirit? And it's not some sovereign God out here. It's you and I. See, it's you and I that sow either to the flesh or to the spirit. So we need to sow into our awareness what spirit seeds. And, you, you know, that's what we're doing. Next week we're going to talk, Lord willing, about reprogramming and rescripting and rewriting the subconscious. And there again, it's up to us. Because we've had some negative things put in our subconscious. And I've been finding out some really cool things uh, about the subconscious. It'll work for us or it'll work against us. And you know what we're doing right now? We've been doing this every, since I've been here. How long have we been together and doing this? Five, six years? I don't know. We've been rescripting, rewriting our subconscious. We've been doing that all along. We've been doing that. When you begin to realize that you didn't come here as a sinner, that you were born in heaven, you were never separate from the Father, that's rewriting the script that was placed by religion into your subconscious. And the subconscious just automatically, it's an automatic thing. See, the subconscious is what keeps your heart working at night and your lungs breathing and so forth. Now, we don't want to go back into some regression as some people do, and this probably helps some people, but Paul the Apostle says, forget the things of the past and just rewrite the script. That's really what he said when he said, forget the things of the past, we press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. And what are we doing? As we live out of the right side, we're rewriting the script. As we hear teaching Concerning what we've been teaching here, you're reprogramming the subconscious. And the subconscious, you see, is what flows automatically. We wonder sometimes why we've had some habits we couldn't break. Well, probably came from the subconscious. What was sown, seeds that were sown from the left side into the subconscious. But anyhow, we're going to deal with that later. So let me give you one more scripture. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Now, we've already talked in Revelation 12 about the sun-clothed woman. She had the mind of Christ on, the crown of 12 stars. That's the mind of Christ. And as a result, the S-U-N came out of the solar plexus, up the spine, up to the seventh, the Sabbath, and it opened the pineal, 
and it flowed, the charism flowed to the pituitary, and she experienced the land flowing with milk and honey, and she birthed Christ. As a result, she birthed Christ. Now, Romans 12, verse 2. Be not conformed to this world. How many know we're in the world but not of it? We're in the world but not of it. So in other words, do not be formed. Con means to be formed together with. Do not be formed together with the thoughts of the left hemisphere is what it's saying here. But, which is a conjunction, putting two ideas together, but be transformed. Now, what does transform mean? Transform, when Jesus was transfigured before them, what did he do? He gave outward expression to what was true of him inwardly. So we're going to be transformed as we're not conformed to the left hemisphere thoughts, but as we are transfigured or transformed by the thoughts in the right hemisphere, the Christ thoughts and exercising the single eye, then we are going to what? What does it mean to be transformed? To give outward expression in the outer realm of what is true in the inner realm. <coughs> that's what that's talking about. See, it's not even talking about renewing your mind. Of and your are not there in the original Greek. So what is it? It's the renewing mind. It's the sound mind. It's the mind of Christ that takes over. That causes us to be transformed, or in other words, to give outward expression to what is true of us inwardly. And as we give outward expression to what is true of us inwardly, that's exactly what the sun-cold woman did. She simply, because she had the mind of Christ on, and the energy began to flow within her body, the macro, microcosm, what happened? She gave outward expression to what was true of her inwardly. She birthed Christ. She birthed the fruit of Christ. Now, what have we learned so far tonight? First of all, God never wanted animal sacrifices. I gave you three scriptures on that. We found out that Moses gave the law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and that had to do, in Israel, with their behavior. However, my idea is now, and I'm thinking in a little different way than I used to think about this, I'm believing that, you know, when God, it says the finger of God wrote, you know, the big ten on the tablets of stone, I believe in his mind, since he wanted them to be a kingdom of priests and a nation of priests, I believe he always meant them to be allegorical, as we've looked at them, rather than having them try to keep ten rules from an external perspective. I think that's what he always meant Israel to experience, where the big ten were concerned. So what have we seen? We have seen, as we've looked at this, that God never wanted the animal sacrifices. We have seen the allegorical aspect of all of the cosmic Big Ten that we've looked at. Honor your father and your mother. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Don't make any graven images. We went through all of those, and we saw that had Israel seen those, as I call cosmic Big Ten, in an allegorical sense, guess what? I think they would have become the kingdom of priests that God wanted them to become. But since they didn't, thank God, we were grafted in, and now we're a spiritual Israel. And so all of the Big Ten represent those things that we have dealt with in an allegorical sense, which most people call the moral law. Trying to be moral. Listen, experiencing spiritual life has nothing to do with being moral. Certainly we're not trying to be immoral, but it's about Christ. It's not about good and evil. It's not about... Morality or immorality, 
It's not about mortal or immortal. It's not about right and wrong. It's not about any of that. It's simply about living from the inside out. That's what it is in a nutshell. If we want to experience this fruit that remains, if we want to experience who we have always been, then we're going to have to focus our attention on the Christ mind. Exercising the single eye. What does it mean to exercise the single eye? Well, when a suggestion is made to you in the realm of appearance, out here could be financial, could be where sickness is concerned, social problem, whatever it is, rather than seeing that and giving power to that by believing it has a real power, and oh, it's so powerful and it's going to take me out and take me down, see it the way the Father sees it. How does he see it? As a non-power. As a nothing. As a less than nothing. That's what it means to begin to view through the single eye. We see it the way the Father sees it. We see it the way Spirit sees it. Otherwise, if we don't, what are we doing? We're giving something a power that never really ever had a power to begin with. Whatever that may be in our life. So our key tonight, as it says in Luke chapter 11, I think around verse 52, the key of knowledge, our key tonight, our key of knowledge to experience spiritual life is to turn within and live from the inside out. To exercise the single eye. To be involved in spontaneous meditation. What do I mean by that? When there's something that looms up before you that is a challenge to you, instead of being reactionary, step back, turn within, it only takes a few seconds, acknowledge the Christ, and watch that thing begin to melt. It'll, first of all, melt right between your ears. Once it melts between your ears, it's going to melt out here because you'll give outward expression to what's true of you inwardly. Eventually, that thing, if you don't give it any power, will melt. When you see it as a no thing, as nothing, it'll melt before your very eyes. So the key of knowledge is right here. Turn within, live from the inside out. And when you do that, you're not going to hinder anyone else because you're going to have the understanding that you're not going to hinder anyone else from entering into themselves as well. And listen, folks, that's what we need to be teaching. Are you here? Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm in a Presbyterian church tonight. <laughs> I know you're listening. <laughs> I know you're listening. But that's the key. That's the key of knowledge right there. It's, it's the only... You know, we think we need this, we need that, we need the other. Listen, everything you think you need, you are that. Our Father is health as us, wealth as us. He is all in all as all. We lack absolutely nothing. We have no need. We may have some apparent needs, but you and I have no need tonight. Only possibly some apparent needs. And if we can see those apparent needs through the single eye, guess what? God's got it. You've got it. It's taken care of. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight for your presence, for your word. Thank you for the Christ mind, the single eye. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, quickening these truths within our heart that we can place them in our awareness and that they can produce fruit that remains in each and every one of our lives. Thank you for this people. Thank you for the hunger and the thirst that abides here in this house. We bless you. We honor you tonight.